today we are jumping back into the book and the series of Revelation, the last book decoded. It's been seven weeks, and some of you have missed the book of Revelation. Uh, somebody in the first gathering said, man, I'm so glad you're getting back into Revelation. So it's been a while. And um, I'm going to tell you a little secret as well. That as a, uh, when you teach the Bible, and this happens quite often, that there's a little voice in the back of my head that says, there's not much to that text, man. You know? Not much going on there. And I have to battle through that. And I have to tell you, man, every Sunday when I'm done, I am grateful for God's word and for his Holy Spirit to breathe life into it. And I believe with all my heart this morning that it happened on this text. But I really believe that God has something for all of us today that will encourage us to grow in our faith with him. So, there we have it. Sabina Wormbrand was a Jewish convert to Christianity in Romania in the 1940s. And she and her husband, Richard, accepted Christ and they founded an underground church. And Sabina was arrested for covert Christian activities, including smuggling Jewish children out of the ghetto. And um, the Romanian Communist Party uh, in the 40s sponsored a religious conference. Now, keep in mind, a religious conference, what's that going to look like in Romania? Well, ministers were required not only to attend, but they were to profess loyalty to communism. It's kind of, you kind of re, it reminds you of Rome back in the day during Jesus' day where you swore allegiance to Caesar. Well, Sabina insisted her husband staying up for Christ even if it would make her a widow. Think about that. Because she told him, I don't wish to have a coward for a husband. And 4,000 people were at the conference and the whole nation of Romania listened to the conference on radio as Richard Wormbrand professed his allegiance only to Jesus Christ. Well, guess what happened? He was imprisoned and put in solitary confinement. He ultimately wrote the book, Tortured for Christ, which describes 14 excruciating years in prison in his suffering for his faith in Jesus. Now, Sabina's story is less famous, even though she spent some time in prison and under house arrest. And when their family was finally allowed to leave and to come to America in 1966, Sabina started telling her story, telling the world what it meant to live behind the Iron Curtain as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I would like to hit the pause button for a moment here because in our country today, it is becoming accepted that socialism, communism, is an option for government in this nation. 
And I can tell you, when you read in the textbooks today, they promote that government because socialism, communism becomes God, small g, in those countries where government is my provider, which makes government good. You take God out of a culture and it will drift to socialism and communism. When you look at Romania and Hungary, that's where my mom's parents came from, when the communists controlled those nations, it cost you as a follower of Christ. In America, we have it so good. Hao Peng was sitting right here in the first gathering. And Hao Peng's family came out of Asia during the communist rule where they tortured and killed people and put them in re-education camps. He will tell you socialism and communism is not an option. So I want to encourage you today, when you hear people talking about how great socialism and communism is, they're uneducated. I'll just flat out tell you. Because all you need to do is listen to what Sabina here talks about. Or anybody that's lived in that kind of a government, they will tell you it's not good. It's not good. And so, as Americans in this room this morning, you need to fight for freedom. That God is God, and God is the ruler over America. And government is secondary. And God is my provider, not government. And so, and so, um, there you have it. And uh, if you're offended by what I just said, don't, don't get your heartbeat all riled up and leave today and say, I'm never going to go back to that place again. Just think about it, you know. I'm not debating it. I'm just submitting it to you to do your homework. Be diligent, Okay? All right? All right. Because listen to what Sabina has to say, how communism and socialism worked in in Romania. She said as a... Working in a a camp, we were used as slave labor. We we as women had to dig a canal with our own hands. We, We didn't even have tools to dig with the dirt. We had to dig with our hands. Empty stomachs will keep us awake at night even though we were exhausted. And She said, our nine-year-old son, Mihai, was now a homeless orphan and the captors would beat the children of those that were in prison just to keep them in line and torment the parents who were in those camps. The wardens kept the women alive, working with the promises that they might be able to see their children if they worked hard in these camps. And of course, we know that hope energized these moms with the hope of one day seeing their children again. And finally, the day came when Sabina, in prison, was allowed to see her son, a nine-year-old who was very pale and thin, 
In the few moments they had, they led, started to lead him away, and Sabina yelled to her son, Mihai, this is what's most important. Love Jesus with all your heart. She yelled it. Love Jesus with all your heart. That's what's most important. Richard and their son came through those dark days of communism and pushed on boldly for God's kingdom. And this morning, as we think of the Spirit of God, what he's saying, I believe he's saying that we too should love Jesus with all of our heart. And sometimes we need to pull back the curtain to see how people are living in the world outside of America for their faith because we have it so easy here. There really is no cost we pay. And so as we look in Revelation 7 this morning, we're going to see that people paid a high price for their faith during the tribulation. Tribulation, seven-year period. And so let's go there. Revelation 7, we'll pick it up at verse 1. You can follow along with me. On the back of your program, there's an outline. You You can track with us there. Then I, this is the Apostle John, saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east carrying the seal of the living God and he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, wait, notice he shouted, What's a shout sound like? Hmm? Yeah, it's loud, right? It's loud. He shouted. Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. So the topic today, God hits the pause button. When you read the first six chapters in Revelation, man, there's a lot of stuff hitting the fan. And there's times when maybe you feel like all hell is breaking loose in your life and all you want is a reprieve. You want just to be able to catch your breath. That's kind of what's going on here in chapter 7. Seven weeks ago when we hit Revelation 6, Let's pick it up in verse 15. Then everyone, what's everyone? Tell me, who's everyone? Everyone is everyone. The kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, and they cried to the mountains and the rocks. I want you to hear this now. They are fully aware of a God who's coming after them out of his love and grace and giving them an opportunity to put their faith in him. And listen to what they say. Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one. Who's the one? The Lamb of God who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Instead of coming to their Savior, they would rather have rocks fall on them. Do you see how messed up your thinking can be when you leave God out of your life? Hmm? 
For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? That's the question that concludes chapter 6. Chapter 7 will answer that question. It will answer that question. And so, number one in your notes, four angels, there's no wind. Uh, We see four angels and the wind's been turned off. Verse 1, then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back. Use your imagination here in this picture that's been given to us by John. The four corners of the earth are like the four points of a compass. And the angels, think about the entire earth, they're holding back the wind. The north, south, east, and west. Why? What happens here? Holding back the four winds so they do not blow on the earth or the sea or even any tree. What happens when you've been in situations where the wind... And then all of a sudden it's still. Sometimes that happens right before a tornado. What happens when the wind's turned off? It gets your attention, doesn't it? Hmm? What happened? Bob Larson said he's been glad. He's been in ICU on his back. He says, God's been talking to me. That's what happens when you're on your back. (laughs) Prayer and fasting, which we just came out of, is putting yourself in a position on your back for God to turn off the wind distractions. In the stillness, you let him speak to you. You speak into me. That's what God was doing. Because those first six chapters, man, plagues, trumpets blaring, famine. All of a sudden it's quiet. Why is it quiet? Because God is speaking to the world in the tribulation that his grace is being extended. I love you. I died for you. Put your faith in me. All hell is breaking loose on the planet because of sin going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, going all through history into the time of tribulation, seven years. And God, out of his love, hits the pause button because he's speaking that I love you. Put your faith in me. And so... We see that word holding back. Actually, it's two words. Holding back in the Greek means to grasp, to seize, to restrain. Man, you think about God giving those angels that kind of authority. To hold the wind back. Now, some of you may know that the Packers lost last Sunday night, right? Did they lose? Yeah, they lost. And, And... Here's an article, three days have passed, and the Green Bay Packers coach, Matt LaFleur, still can't understand his team's lack of urgency. Think about that word, urgency. 
especially in the first half during a blowout loss to the San Francisco 49ers. He said, I don't understand that because you're there. You're there. You have an opportunity to go to play in a Super Bowl. And for that to happen, it's extremely, it's bothersome. We have to look at ourselves and see why we, our players weren't playing with their hair on fire. Can I tell you this morning that when God turns the wind off, it's urgent. And in, in January 2020, we are living in a time of urgency as people that we have decisions to make. Will I put my faith in Christ? And if I put my faith in Christ, will I model the character of Christ? Will I do it? There's an urgency. Because people are searching for what's right, what's true. People of integrity. People who say they're followers of Christ and they actually are following him. That's what they're looking for. And so, how is it in your life? Is there an urgency? Do you sense an urgency, man, to let other people know about Christ? Even Alpha coming up, man. Use it as an opportunity to invite somebody out. Let's do it. It's urgent. Number two, one angel with the seal. Verse two, and I saw another angel coming up from the east carrying the seal of the living God and he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea. Wait, don't harm the land and sea or or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. There's a responsibility where this angel's carrying a seal and he's going to mark 144,000 people. And um, for years now, people in the church have been focused on another mark. In Revelation 13, 16 through 18, it talks about the Antichrist putting the mark, they call it the mark of the beast, 666 on people. And if you take that mark of the beast, you cannot... You won't be able to buy or sell. You can't buy food. You can't buy medication. You can't buy gasoline for your car unless you have the mark of the beast. And so, the mark of the beast is simply a counterfeit for what we're reading right here in chapter 7. Because Satan never has an original thought when he sees God do something, he says, I can do that too. In response to Christ, Satan comes up with the Antichrist. When it comes to a prophet of God, Satan comes up with the false prophet. Because God will place a true mark on the foreheads of his own, Satan will produce a false mark via through the Antichrist to lead the world away from God. And you see it in the ancient world where you had a ring, a signet ring, and you had wax, and you would melt that wax and put the, the signet ring, boom, stamp on it, and that would give a sign of ownership. That is mine. I am putting my name, my stamp on it. Uh, it's my responsibility. I will take care of it. And that's exactly what God is doing here without the wax, by the way. Um, he's sealing these people during the time of the tribulation. We see it. The sealing that took place when 
when Noah went into the ark with his family. There was God's seal on them to protect them during the flood. During Exodus, you had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost so the death angel would go over your, your, your house. That blood of the lamb was that seal, that mark. When Rahab in Jericho provided safety for the two Israel spies, they told her to hang a red rope out of her window and her life and family would be spared. So there was a mark, there was a seal. Rahab had put her faith in God. And so did her family. Rahab evangelized her family during that little window in history. And also in Ezekiel 9, we see God preparing to judge his own people because they had turned their backs on him for years. And God had sent prophets into Jerusalem throughout Israel to, to encourage the people to come back to faith. And they, they, they laughed at the prophets and they made fun of them and they were worshiping the phony baloney gods. In Ezekiel 9.3, it says, And the Lord called to a man dressed in linen who was carrying the writer's case, and he said to him, Walk through the streets of Jerusalem and put a mark or a seal on the foreheads of all who weep and sigh because of the detestable sins being committed in their city. In other words, there were people who recognized the demise of their country and it broke their hearts because of it. And when those people were recognized, this man would put a mark on their forehead, a seal on their forehead, and they were preserved. And judgment came on everyone who did not have that mark. And I want to submit to you this morning, in January 2020 in America, when you see our country slipping into the abyss morally and spiritually, does it break your heart? Does it touch your heart? Because if it doesn't, if you, are, if you have hardened your heart and everything is cool and you're, you're living in comfort and everything is good, there should be that little idiot light on your dashboard that starts flashing red, that something's wrong. Something's wrong. We should grieve. We should, we should be praying for our country. And we see that all through the Bible, God talks about protecting and preserving his people. We all seem to have different definitions on how that looks, but when you have martyrs, over 100,000 people dying every year in the world because of their faith in Christ, some people would say protection. Well, they're being promoted, actually, from this earth to heaven because that's their real home. But in Psalm 32, 7, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. In Revelation three ten, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. And also we hit in Ephesians uh, last year, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, 
This is modern day now. This is relatable to you and to me. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. Or in the Greek it says, he put his seal on you. He marked you. How did he mark us? By giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Is that happening in your life, man? I am, I am praising and I am glorifying Jesus Christ because he marked me. He sealed me with his Holy Spirit. See, that should be happening, man. I'm marked. Hey, hey, do people know there's a mark on you? Do people know there's a seal on you? Now, to them, it might be invisible, but what's going on the inside should come out in your actions and your words that come out of your mouth. I'm marked. I'm sealed by the grace of God. He owns me. Yes. Yes. And so, what's the purpose of these 144,000? These 144,000, man, they will become bold evangelists throughout the world. No secret service believers here. No putting the lamp under over my light mentality. No, 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 no. Jesus spoke about the tribulation and the judgments that come in Matthew 24, 14. He says, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. The 144,000 will go throughout the known world and they will preach and they will teach about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three, 144,000 Jews are sealed. That's who we're talking about here, verses four through eight. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. John heard 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. And you can Judah 12,000, Reuben 12,000, you can go through the tribes of Israel. 12,000 by 12 is 144,000. You learn that in school, I hope. And God deals with the Jews here in a very unique way. Think about it. 2,000 years ago, he had 12 Jewish men who were followers of Christ that turned the world upside down with the gospel. No technology, you know, no television, no mass media. Think of what 144,000 wound up followers of Christ are going to do on the planet. Huh? Yeah, man. Good stuff's going to happen. During the tribulation, they're telling people about Jesus. Can I just give you a footnote? These 144,000, they're not the Jehovah Witnesses, you know, that ring your doorbell. No, 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 it's not them. Sorry. These are Jews, all from the tribe of Israel. And so... We know that the Jewish leaders rejected Jesus when he came as the Messiah. You know what happened to the nation of Israel when that happened? 
a national blindness swept over their nation. And that, a, a spiritual blindness because they rejected the Messiah. There are consequences, friends, for the choices you make. This is not, <clears throat> this is not a game. In Romans 1, verse 24, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, God abandoned them. That's a scary place, by the way. You flirt with sin long ago. Your thinking becomes whacked out. You keep rejecting God and his Holy Spirit's conviction over and over. He will abandon you. He'll let you go do what you want to do. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that never should be done. Verse 32, they know God's justice. See, they know. They know. They're not ignorant of it. They know. Requires that those who do these things deserve to die. They know it deserves death. And yet they do it anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do that as well. Who are you hanging with, man? Because it says they encourage others to do this loopy stuff as well. You better be careful who you're hanging with. You better be careful who you're listening to. You better put a monitor on your brain and start asking some tough questions. Because it's a dangerous place to be. I read Matthew 24 the other day, and two verses jumped out at me. This is red letter, Jesus speaking. He says, so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Jesus is coming. He says, keep watch. You must keep watch. It is urgent. Verse 44, you must also be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Hey. When I was a youth pastor down in Chicago years ago, <clears throat> it seems like a long time ago, I had a friend who was also a youth pastor. He was a Jewish dude that got put his faith in Christ as a teenager. He's pastoring in California today. And so people, Jews, are getting saved, but I'm telling you, it's going to explode during the tribulation. Their eyes are going to be opened. And... Uh, that leads us to number four, a gathering in heaven, verse 9. After this, so after seeing these 144,000, I saw a vast crowd, John, too great to count, too great, innumerable, a number that kept going, 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 and going, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb and they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar. Pause, pause. They were shouting with a great roar. Why were they shouting with a great roar? Somebody help me out here. Years ago, we took a group of men down to Dallas for Promise Keepers when Promise Keepers was the big deal. <clears throat> Long drive. 
We went into the Cowboy Stadium during the worship, and I'm telling every guy was standing. The place was rocking. Tony Evans was down there as well. And if you know Tony Evans, the dude's on fire. The next year, we went to Minneapolis. And I swear I was in a funeral. Totally different than Dallas. During worship, during worship, maybe half the guys were just sitting in their chairs, man. Just sitting there. The other half was standing. You know what people said? It's a different culture up there, man. You got the... You got the Norwegians and the Swedish, and you know how reserved they are. Do you think we have the Swedish coalition in heaven that's just kind of twiddling their thumbs? You know, don't you know how I'm quiet and reserved, man? Huh? What is wrong with us? What is wrong with the body of Christ, man, where we we, we let our feelings dictate how we live our lives? I don't see, you know, nationalities broken up here. You know, the the Asians, they were all fired up, and the Swedes were all quiet over here, you know, humming their songs. And No, 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 no. They were shouting with a great roar. All the nations. You know why they were shouting? Because salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. That's why. They were living in sin during the tribulation, man. And the 144 Jewish evangelists came out and they were preaching the gospel. And the Gentiles who put their faith in Christ became martyrs because of it. They wouldn't take the mark of the beast. And it cost them their lives. It costs them their lives, and here they're in heaven, and they're shouting like a roar. And guess what else is going on? Because they are so fired up, the elders and the four living beings, they fall on their faces before God. Because the emotion is so evident and tangible. And they worship in heaven. And here we are on earth. Jesus died for me. How cool. It's cool. I don't want to get too excited. It's a roar of gratitude. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. You know the heart of God. Here it is in the middle of the tribulation. 1 Timothy 2. God our Savior wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. Last week there was a Article, Aaron Rodgers' family dismayed by his religious comments.
Somebody that knows Aaron says it's this rift that he's got with his family is basically him turning his back on everything his family taught him when it comes to faith in Christ. Aaron grew up in a Christian family. In fact, years ago, he did promos for Young Life. Doesn't do it anymore. Rogers explained that he questioned religion as a kid and has has since related to a different type of spirituality as he's gotten older. Most people that I knew, church was just, you just had to go. Can I say there's something wrong with that statement? You don't have to go. You should want to go. I need to go. I need to go. I need to be there. I don't have to go. I want to go. Big difference. Listen to what Aaron says. I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell. What type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all this? Can I tell you a secret that God doesn't want that to happen because we just read 1 Timothy 2. He wants everyone to be saved. The reason why people go to hell is because they chose to go to hell. You reject Jesus, he gives you what you want. You don't want Jesus on earth, I will give you no Jesus in hell. He gives you what you want. Aaron's asking the wrong question. Wednesday night, Louis Giglio put it this way. The common question people ask is, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? The better question is, how could anyone reject the love of God? How about you? How can you reject the love of God? Father, we thank you this morning. Even in the midst of the tribulation and the planet falling apart with judgment, You've got people out throughout the world telling the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. To put your faith in Jesus and the cool thing we see numbers of people that so many we can't even count, they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God. And this morning, Lord, we thank you that you're a God who is loving and a God who has justice. And I pray for each person this morning, Lord, that if there's not an urgency for the time in which we're living, that by your Holy Spirit, you will dial it up in our core, that you will encourage us, Lord, to follow after you and model you to the people around us. We thank you for your passion that you have for souls and for people. 
just like every person in this room, you are passionately in love with them. We're grateful. And as we participate in communion, may we be reminded of the great price you paid for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.